0: First reading is from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 to 15. You can find it on 1163 in the Pew Bibles. Pews? Those went years ago. <laughs> in the back of the chair in front of you. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers and for you, their hearts will go out to you and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And now we're gonna turn to Matthew 6, verses 31 to 33. So do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. That's it. <laughs> right.
1: Anyone want to preach? <laughs> Excellent. Well, uh, Mike, thank you very much. And I do apologize uh, for the large distance between your eyes and the lectern. Um, Mike's to blame for that. So uh, (laughs) well done for reading without warning. So it's gift day, and um, I don't know how that makes you feel. I I think it it made me feel a little bit like uh, seeing your video notice specs and uh, discovering that you're not allowed to tell the congregation what's happening uh, at my leaving do in case I find out. A sense of excitement and trepidation is probably how I describe my emotions. And that might be how you feel about this subject. As I was reflecting on uh, the significance but also the feelings around gift days, I came to the conclusion that generally speaking, very few people want to preach on it, very few people want to listen to it. But actually, if it never happened, none of us would be here. And I think that is actually reality reality of it isn 't it it 's important. we do need to hear it, um, and we need to, in, if you like, uh, choose to engage with it because we know its importance, whether collectively so we can fulfill all that God is calling us to as a church, whether as individuals or families, so we can fulfill our individual calling and it 's important to God, I have to say, as well, how do we know that? Because Jesus spoke about it continually. So, did Paul, and so did the Old Testament prophets. The implication is clear. So, too, should we. So, by teaching on this today, we're being biblical, we're being practical by giving us the information and the opportunities that we need to respond, and we're also being pastoral by helping us all to think through this issue. Now, I'm conscious that there'll be different people in the room feeling different things. Uh, Some will be enthused by the topic. Others will struggle with it, um, often because they are not in the situation to give financially. We know there are people in that situation, and we understand that. That's fine. Please do not feel under any pressure to give. But also be assured that this is an important thing for us as a church to hear. And I hope and pray that actually it would be encouraging to us all. So on with the sermon. And I've essentially got one question to give. So, yes, one question to ask, why give? Or to put it more specifically, why give cheerfully? Because that was the phrase that we heard in our main reading, wasn't it? I don't know whether it sort of struck you as being slightly strange. God loves a cheerful giver. You may be thinking, well, why on earth would anyone be cheerful about giving their money away? Isn't it just like paying our taxes or having our teeth pulled? What is there to be cheerful about? Maybe you're wondering that. But I certainly think this is a relevant question to explore because actually most of us, not all of us, but most of us don't lack the means to give generously. But we may well lack the motivation. I certainly have at times. So how can we change that? How can we get the motivation? How can we get to the point where we want to give and we feel good about giving? Well, I'm going to suggest four steps, or if you like, four motivations to give generously. And they're based on my own experiences and reflections. They're based on what the Bible says, particularly from the passages that we heard read. Um, But also from what I've observed as churches that seek to grow, generate the resources that they need to grow. So here's the first motivation that I want to share with you. Remember how much you've been given. And I want to illustrate this with the example that Paul himself gave in 2 Corinthians 8. That's the previous chapter to the one that we heard read. And in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8, it says this. And now, brothers brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. So they weren't even asked to contribute, yet their overflowing joy compelled them, a joy that even extreme poverty, and you can be sure that extreme poverty then, was worse than extreme poverty now. Even that poverty did not frustrate the desire, because of their joy, to play their part in giving to Christians elsewhere who were in need. And we thought last week, didn't we, about how money doesn't satisfy. Remember that quote from John D. Rockefeller, one of the richest men in America. How much money is enough money, he was asked. And he replied, just a little bit more. So money doesn't satisfy. The Macedonian church didn't have any money, and yet they had great joy. Where did this joy come from? It was because of their salvation, their forgiveness, their adoption as God's children. They knew just how precious this was. And in last week's other passage, we heard it was like a hidden treasure or a priceless pearl. And spending time with new Christians today... I'm reminded of those exact same emotions. If you talk to someone who's recently come to faith, you will probably find that they are just overflowing with that joy and wonder of what God has done in their life. It's wonderful. It's uh, so contagious when we come across it. It's one of the great rewards, by the way, of helping with things like Alpha. We get to see that, and it boosts our own faith. And yet here's the thing, that sense of overflowing joy is not meant to be a sort of one-off experience that you get at the beginning of the Christian journey and then it wears off never to return again. Rather, the model that we're given, and Paul himself illustrates this perfectly in what he says about himself, the model is that what we need to do is constantly remind ourselves of the grace of God, all that he's done for us, all that we've left behind, and the cheer, wonder and joy of what he's given to us. To keep coming back to the love of God, shown in the life of Jesus and the death and resurrection Of Jesus he died so that we could have life and Paul called it in the letter to the Ephesians the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus joyful Christians constantly remind themselves of Jesus's kindness to us of God's grace And wanting to be generous is the result. So if we're not feeling like we want to be generous today, maybe the first place to start is, are you truly reminding yourself and truly absorbing all that it is that God has already given you? But what else have we been given? Well, there's so much more, isn't there? There's the wonderful gift of the Holy Spirit, the down payment of our future inheritance in heaven. Just think about it. What a privilege. God loves us and lives in us. And one day, we will spend eternity with him. But the truth is, and this is probably the decisive factor, we've actually been given everything. Paul's first letter to the Corinthians tells us, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And what do you have that you did not receive? The answer to that rhetorical question is, of course, nothing. And this is absolutely essential to grasp when it comes to thinking about giving. Because what it means is that we are stewards, not owners. It's all his, not actually ours and why is this so important because we naturally assume don't we that all the gifts the opportunities the possessions the resources that we have our time too belongs to us that they're ours to allocate as we see fit our free choice that's how we see it because that's how the culture around us sees it and yet Jesus taught us something quite utterly Different. One parable which you'll probably all or most of you will know is the power of the talents. It's one example of where Jesus makes this point. And in that parable, uh, there were three men who were each given a quantity of talent. Talents actually were a unit of money at that time, but the principle applies too to our talents and skills today. And at the end of it, they're all held to account for have they invested what they've been given. And has it grown? And yet Jesus isn't giving a simple economics lesson to his disciples when he tells that parable. He's not wanting to assess has it grown in monetary terms. His point is this. Has it seen the kingdom grow and the kingdom announce? In other words, that other passage that we heard read about seeking first the kingdom of God is not, as I see it, primarily to save us from worry, Although that can be a healthy byproduct, it's to save us from distraction from the overriding purpose for which we've been called. Because unless we put the kingdom first and make it our number one priority, very little happens. But if we do, the possibilities for the kingdom are endless. The lesson focus on the kingdom, make that your be all and end all, and leave the rest to God. He will provide everything else that you need. It's very countercultural, but it's the way in which the kingdom grows, it's the way in which churches grow, and it's the way in which we as individuals grow as we respond to that call. So, we've arrived at our second motivation for giving then. Knowing what we're called to, which is not to serve our own financial interests or those of our family and simply ask God to bless it, Rather, the whole purpose for which we're now living is turned on its head. And as Jesus famously put it, that we would deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And devote ourselves to playing our part in his mission by resourcing the rescuing of others from darkness revealing his love and truth to the world, not just here in Guildford, but much further afield. And that's why we as a church wholeheartedly support the parish share arrangement. And this is how larger churches like this one can actually help smaller churches in less wealthy areas to survive and flourish. I can think of so many examples of churches in this diocese where I have so much confidence in the minister there but actually they need the parish share to help them fulfill the call God's given them. So the parish share is important, and it is the modern equivalent of what the Macedonian church and the Corinthian church were doing there, collecting money for the Christians in Jerusalem as they went through a famine at that time. But it's also why we support international ministry and mission as well. And we've got a great diocese, we've got a great bishop, and we've got some outstanding missionaries serving Jesus overseas. Some of you will know some of them. And we want to play our part, yes, in growing the ministry here, out there, in this community. But also investing in the kingdom across the world. So where are you at this morning? Are you grateful for what you've been given? Do you see your wealth, your gifts, your time as yours or his? Which doesn't mean Wishing it well, it means investing in the kingdom. Offering what you have for the cause. Moving from being spectators to investors. Romans 12 verse 1 puts it like this. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your your bodies, meaning everything you have, as a living sacrifice, wholly pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And so we don't just worship with our voices, do we? We worship him with our hearts, with our minds, with our hands in what we do in service and with our wallets and purses. It's giving him everything because he gave everything to us. So we've looked then at two motivations to give. Now here's the third. We get so much back in return And I could categorise this in a a number of ways. And the first is the peace and the fulfilment of being authentic, of responding wholeheartedly to what Jesus called us to, to deny ourselves, to follow him, to live obediently and to play our part, finding our purpose in his purpose for the world and finding our significance, our identity, our self-worth in him because nothing else in this world will satisfy us we looked at that last week didn't we but actually the only way that the christian life will truly satisfy us is when we truly live it out doing what it says on the tin doing what jesus called us to so living authentically as followers of Jesus, rewards us. But so does seeing what God does as a result. Nothing beats seeing people come to faith. Nothing beats also seeing Christians go on in the faith. And when we've played a part in that happening, it is very, very rewarding. The verse I always turn to, actually, that inspires me when I lose sight of that joy of seeing people come to faith and grown in faith is 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 8. Paul has just heard that the Christians there are standing firm in the Lord some time after he's last seen them. And this is what he writes. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Is Paul joyful? Of course he is. And let's be honest, I think he's probably considerably more joyful than us, despite all the persecutions that he faced. And what gives him his joy? His relationship with Jesus and his investment in what Jesus is doing in others irrespective of his personal circumstances and if we invest in God's kingdom in God's people that joy can be ours too knowing that good is triumphing over evil and that we are playing our part and yet there's more There's something miraculous about giving too, which was written throughout that passage that we heard read. Let me just give you a few examples. It illustrates that this is a gift that keeps on giving so that we can give and give again. So we read this. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And God is able to bless bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Five different verses I picked out that all say the same thing. You give to God and he gives back. You give and he multiplies or recycles that blessing, time after time after time, so that you can keep on giving generously. Now, what does this mean? Well, if we've never tried it, or we've never got close to someone who has, we could be forgiven to the just thinking it's a mystery. We don't know what it means. It's odd. But I need to tell you that the evidence I've seen from my own life and those of many, many hundreds of other people is actually, it happens. When we give generously and sacrificially, God does intervene in people's lives so that their ability to give again and again just grows and continues beyond anything we could explain in any other way. When we give, God gives back. And it's like prayer and fasting and using our spiritual gifts. When we do it, God responds. It has power And it unlocks a chain of events that bring only greater blessing. Be generous to him, and he will be generous to you. And it's a very exciting thing to experience. So now we come then to our fourth motivation, which is this. Look at what God is already doing. Look at what God is already doing. And it's here that I want to just share my reflections on this church At this time. Obviously, I will soon be on my way, but this is my opportunity just to share with you how I see where we're at. And the long and short of it is this I firmly believe that this is a church that is ready to take off. God is stirring people's hearts, the Spirit is active. We've seen so much evidence of that. The harvest is coming, in fact, it's already starting. come. And this is going to be a very exciting place to be. I don't have to say that, but I firmly believe it. And what's been going on behind the scenes, looking at it from my point of view, is that God has been preparing us for the last two years particularly, but even in the three years before that. We've been going through a rebuilding, a restructuring, recruiting new staff, reorganizing our Sunday services, refocusing around mission, listening to the church, listening to God and discerning his vision for the church. To love God, to love people, to make a difference to people across this town and beyond. And we've ended up with three key priorities which are easy to remember and I think you'll agree are three really wonderful and crucial things to seek to do. The first is to prioritise sharing our faith and equipping us to do that, and doing lots and lots as a church that gets us out there and not just expecting people to come here. So that's one priority, evangelism, and equipping us to do it. The second is developing our experience of community as one big family. It's a wonderful phrase, isn't it, that captures that, that actually we all are valued, and we all need to get to know each other, And we want to experience community and friendship and support as one big family that loves and cares for each other. So that's our second priority. And the third is releasing, equipping, and empowering each of us to use our gifts to discern our calling and passions and to go out and put those things into practice. Now, we've only just started doing that And yet I believe already so much has been achieved. Here are just some of the highlights in the last six months. In evangelism, we had those four fantastic apologetic seminars that were so well attended and appreciated. That was in June. We had that wonderful Trekkers Holiday Club in August that so many people across the church family made happen and was such a blessing. We had a great Alpha Supper on Tuesday, as we've heard building on several fruitful alpha courses and life courses in recent years. We had a great freshers week, reaching out of the university. Then in terms of community, we've massively improved our welcome. We know that, don't we? That was last autumn, but we're still feeling the fruits of that now. We've started several new life groups just in the last few weeks. We've got about 25 connect groups either started or ready to start And next week, we're going to devote a lot of our service just to hearing about those and praying them into being and into growth. What else has happened? Well, we've had big socials like the Passover supper, the summer picnic, the volunteers party at the rectory. Add to that all the events that the in-betweeners for young adults, S3, Cameo, put on. Add the men's breakfast, the beloved nights and the way that they've all grown and really gained momentum. There's so much that's been done, and yet so much that can be done. We're coming closer as a community, and I hope that you're excited about that. Now, the third priority, equipping the church to use our gifts and to get out and make a difference. Well, we ran those four courses, didn't we, just a few weeks ago, Equip. The feedback that we got, because you all filled in feedback forms, was really good And we're currently running a new parenting course that's being trialed. We've got a new leadership course planned for January and then also the following September. It's gonna run for between six and nine months. It's gonna involve a lot of input, roughly every two weeks um, for the first one, which is a bit shorter than they will be after that. And what it's gonna provide the opportunity to do is to pair up younger emerging leaders with more experienced Christians who've been trained in mentoring who can help them to grow in their leadership skills. What a wonderful opportunity that is. We did that in my last church. It had a phenomenal impact. Raising up leadership that raises up new ministries, that makes a genuine difference out there and in here as we grow as the body of Christ. Now add all that to our fantastic children's and youth ministry, which is significantly larger now than it was two years ago. Our fantastic student ministry, which remains one of the biggest and most vibrant in the town. Add to that all those terrific Kingdom Come nights, just remember the one last week and what that was like, for example. There are so many things to thank God for, and yet so many things to look forward to as more and more people come to faith as our friendships and our spiritual confidence deepens, and as leaders and gifts are identified, developed, and used. So what does the church need to do then to move forward with this vision? We need to raise a significant but definitely achievable amount of extra income, and that will allow us to continue our investment in staffing, in training, in ministry, and in outreach. And allowing the growth that we've already experienced and the vision that we've already discerned to continue to grow and develop. So I want to suggest that we consider responding in one of the following ways. First, if you don't currently give regularly, would you consider taking that step now at this time? If you know that this is the church that you want to commit to, please do join us. Become an investor Put a financial stake, if you can, in what God is doing here. Even if it's a tiny amount, whatever you feel you can do, we believe there's a real spiritual significance to starting to give regularly. Whatever the amount, you'll be blessed, we'll be blessed, and you'll be investing in the kingdom. So what about a second suggestion Well, if we're someone who already gives, as many of us do, would you consider increasing it to a slightly higher proportion of your income, reflecting your confidence in what we're seeking to do here? And here's a third. Maybe you're in a situation a bit like Kate and mine, where actually the most appropriate way to respond is a one-off gift, and that's what we feel led to do. We want to back this vision And I hope that you will want to, too. So in a few minutes, I'm going to ask Andy Bagwell, our operations director, to come and explain how we can give more easily. He's gonna explain a new method that we can do that. And also how we can give it tax efficiently, which makes a huge difference to what we can use at the end of the day. As I said at the beginning, though, if you're not in a position to give at this time, that's absolutely fine. Please do not feel you need to. And if you're visiting the church today, as many will be, especially tonight, among our students, well then just again, feel free to, not to give, but whatever situation you're in, let's take the opportunity just to reflect on what God is doing here and what he's calling us to do in our future and what, if anything, he's prompting us to do in relation to this church here and now. So I'm going to suggest we take five minutes now for silent listening to God, reflecting on what we've heard, and saying to him whatever we want to say to him. Five minutes is a good length of time. This is a real privilege to spend that time with God. And after that, Andy will come and explain what we can do next.